the 38th chapter. Who's got their finger on the first verse? Nobody? No? David, David, if you'd like to read the very first verse out loud. Nice and loud. Good man. So, Jeremiah, it's uh, 650 years approximately before the birth of Christ. Jeremiah's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's got a voice for God which people don't like, and you'll see how, what it got, what trouble it got him into. So, Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, this is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine or plague. But whoever goes over to Babylon will live. He will escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, this man should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people, by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson is taken from Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 23. It's on page 1116 of the Bibles beside you. Acts 19, verse 23, and it's entitled The Riot in Ephesus. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, 
who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theatre. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they've neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. We take the thoughts of Mike's prayer a few minutes ago, <clears throat> that you, Lord, would open our ears, that you would give us grace that our wills may follow you and that you will grant us courage to live as Christians. Amen. So here we are in this series looking at our mission in the world here in Portsmouth and South Sea and wherever we might live or work against the background of what Paul experienced which we read of throughout the book of Acts. And a lot of it does not make very happy or pleasant reading. Let's start, though, with Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Paul encountering opposition. Saul had been called around about 1,025 years before Christ to be the first king of Israel. He was followed by David, and under David, Israel became strong and powerful. David won battles wherever he went on behalf of God for Israel. 
His son Solomon then took over the throne and the nation increased not only in power but in wealth and prosperity. Solomon was followed by two men who argued with each other and eventually the nation was divided and fell into apostasy. Israel in the north with its headquarters in Samaria and during the course of the history which you can read of in those historical books of the Old Testament we read of 19 kings that there were over Israel in the north and they were all bad men. In the south the capital was Jerusalem and it had just the two tribes of Judah. Israel in the north was carried off into captivity into Assyria going further northeast. That was somewhere around about 720 BC. 140 years later Judah who also fell into disobedience to God were carried off according to God's word through men like Jeremiah into captivity in Babylon. God had raised up <clears throat> many prophets old and we read of in the, the Old Testaments. Some of them prophesied to the northern tribes, some to the south and some to both. We have a record of three major prophets and 12 minor prophets according to their length that make up the last part of the Old Testament. Isaiah and Jeremiah overlapped slightly, although basically Jeremiah was some 50 years after Isaiah. And by then the kingdom, not only divided, was in a terrible state of turning away from God. Much as where our own land of England is today. After God's blessing on this nation, bringing us through two world wars with many miracles, and basically as a nation, we've turned away from God. And many of our laws coming out of Westminster are opposed to the will and the way of God. Jeremiah had one tough commission. Let me read it to you. Right at the very book, the first chapter of Jeremiah. God is speaking. The word of the Lord came to me before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sort of words that might be used, changed a bit perhaps, in an ordination service when a man comes into the service of God in a particular church. And then Jeremiah says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. 
But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. <clears throat> so far, so good. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and the kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Pretty tough commission, that. A very negative message indeed. No wonder the people got angry and Jeremiah was going to suffer hugely at their hands because they did not want to hear the sort of message that was, uh, was pointed out in the reading from Jeremiah 28 that we heard just now. He suffered miserably. He was beaten. The people plotted to kill him. Sorry, just imagine Mike or anyone who stands up in the gospel of God and this is the sort of treatment. Insulted, referred to as a traitor, barred from going into the temple. He was imprisoned. He suffered dislike, curse, and isolation. He was arrested. He, f arrested. he faced death threats from the people etc., etc., etc. And in the reading, he was thrown into a system and his feet sunk into the mud. This was one of God's chosen servants. For 40 years, he had to proclaim an unpalatable warning this world, this kingdom, this comfortable system of life is coming to an end. He emphasizes that he complains to God. This is incredible. I remember reading this some time ago. Jeremiah chapter 20. Oh Lord, you persuaded me and I was persuaded. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. This is Jeremiah talking to God. <coughs> Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not speak anymore or mention his name, his word is like fire in my heart. I'm weary of holding it in. A little later in the same chapter. Now remember, this is one of God's chosen men. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear the wailing in the morning and a battle cry at noon. 
For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? <clears throat> this man is talking with God. I say respectfully and reverently without any hint of blasphemy, if you were God, what would be you doing to Jeremiah at this stage? What would you say to him? Would you look for another servant to take Jeremiah's place? Well, I think this is one of the most precious verses in the whole of Scripture to me because the next verse, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I don't mind what your sin is, what your failure is, how depressed you might have got at the failure of your own Christian life. God still loves you and wants you to carry on the mission for Him. God does not work through success stories. Some men have been mightily successful in God's kingdom. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that God's the one who's in control. Not you, not any church leader, not even the archbishop, I say respectfully. God is the one who's in control. Well, that's Jeremiah, a pretty tough life he had. You ready to join his band of followers? What about Paul? We read in the account that was given to us just a few minutes ago of what happened to Paul's visit to Ephesus, how he and his colleagues that were with him really, really suffered. As one reads through the book of Acts, it seems that the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ always brought trouble. Listen to this, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Are you ready to join the band? We are persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Are you ready to join the group of those testifying to Jesus Christ? Later in the same letter, the apostle writes this. It's, it's a sort of almost, um, dear friends, you know, we're having a great time here, and... Um, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods once, and so it goes on. It's a horrendous list of what Paul lived with 
and suffered for the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. You ready to join the band of worshipers and witness people for Jesus? Philippians 1, you've heard me um, use this passage before. Paul. Now remember, Paul's introduction to the church at Philippi, which we're, letter we're going to look at for just a moment. Paul was thrashed, beaten, put in the deepest dungeon and fastened in the stocks. Uh, are you willing to join the band of those giving testimony to Jesus with Paul and Silas that night? Oh, they were moaning and groaning because of the pain. Rubbish. Midnight, they were singing praises to God. And Paul wrote this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Mike is not alone in this church. Mike and Jit are not alone in this church. Mike, Jit, and Adam are not alone in this church, but they require the whole, God requires the whole congregation of people to join them and be partners with them in the gospel. It's marvelous, isn't it? Partners in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes on, he says, being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Am I preaching in my own strength? Then God won't bless it. But if I'm allowing him to, may I use the words, perform through me, then God can bless it. What does that tell me? God's in control. What about Jesus? He sends out his 12 disciples into the mission field into which he is going. And he says this, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And my friends, it has not changed in 2,000 years. There's still a load of wolves out there who want to wreck and to ruin your Christian faith. They want to belittle your going to church. They want to pour scorn on the fact that you might have faith in the risen God. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perform it I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You will be flogged. Well, maybe Christians aren't flogged enough today. There are thousands of people around the world who are suffering because of the name of Jesus. Men who don't know where their wives are, wives whose husbands have been taken off into prison. I have zero experience of such. 
but it's happening. You and I need to pray for the grace of God into people whose lives are suffering like that. Jesus went on, he said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You were worth more than many sparrows. I learned from commentators that the disciples are spoken of 311 times in the New Testament. And 246 times they are linked with suffering or persecution because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Writing also to the church in Philippi a little later in the letter, Paul says, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The Apostle Peter, a few years later, writing to the same churches that Paul had founded in what you and I today call Turkey, many of which had first heard the gospel through Paul. Therefore, since Christ suffered, Peter wrote, in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name so that those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What a Savior. What a God. You and I haven't the minutest fraction or slightest concept of what it means for Jesus to be crucified. The cost to him was everything. God couldn't give any more. There was no more to give because he loves you and me so much. Don't keep that love to yourself. Be willing to share it. If you suffer, praise God. Heavenly Father,
none of us would enjoy suffering. Most of us, if not all of us, can say we never have suffered physical damage through being a testament for Jesus. Therefore, I pray, as the days go by, you will give us open ears, willing hearts, and your courage that we might live for him. Amen.